Hello and welcome to the Happier at Work podcast with your host, Aoife O'Brien. The podcast for anyone who wants to be happier at work. We spend so much of our time at work. Everyone deserves to be happier at work. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Happier at Work podcast, where I speak with Mike Vacanti of Humans First Club. And we have a fantastic conversation. Mike is really keen to put people really at the heart of everything that happens in business. So I hope you enjoy this week's conversation. So welcome, Mike, to the Happier at Work podcast. I'm delighted to have you on as a guest today. Would you like to introduce yourself to listeners? Thank you. Aoife, I'm very excited to be here today with you. And uh, this topic is important and exciting to jump into. I, uh, a little bit about me. So I, I'm in Minnesota in the United States, so center of the United States. Um, raised my family here and had a career that took me all over the country and, and literally all over the world with different teams. So I've um, I've had many different experiences. Um, I think in the last uh, couple of decades, it's been based in technology solutions, and and I've been through five um, pretty significant mergers and acquisitions, dealing with a lot of turmoil and and chaos, and people that are operating through fear and doubt. What's what's going to happen next? I think that informed a lot of what I have, what I have done and, and what became the, the basis for the book that I released um, just in December of last year called Believership, the superpower beyond leadership. And, and also um, four years ago, I started consulting and what I was learning through that, doing workshops and working with different companies to, to address and solve problems that, um, transformation, um, employee problems, um, high achieving teams. I learned so much and it, it led me to understand that we had some significant challenges. And through that, I wanted to do further research and started the Humans First Club to go open up those rooms and, and open dialogue to, to learn from others. And I think that really shapes where I am today and the work I'm doing currently. Brilliant. And how is the Human First Club? How has that kind of evolved over time? You know, it's interesting because it was it was really an experiment. What happens if we get people in a room and simply say, what's it like to be human in the workplace today? And we would infuse some topics from, you know, brilliant speakers that brought um, new ideas. And so you know, we, we seeded the conversation a little bit, but then truly opened it up to clear and open dialogue. And what amazed me is the level of and the depth that people would go to in expressing themselves and their ideas and their challenges in an open and safe space with total strangers um, in many cases. And sometimes we get groups from a company in and, and they would share openly with their coworkers. And, um, so it, it, uh, it could have fizzled out um, as it went forward, but instead it seemed to gain momentum. And there have been 13 live events. There are now um, four calls that happen every week. Um, one of the calls has been going on for, you know, 14, 15 months now. Um, and it's people from all over the world, five continents, dozens of countries, um, men and women, you know, 20 to 70 years old, all races, all religions, many backgrounds. It's, it, um, it flourished on its own, I think, just by being willing to hold space that others could step into. Yeah. There's a few things there that you mentioned. I mean, sometimes it's easier, I think, to express yourself to strangers. So maybe that's part of that and like it is you know fair play to the people who are sharing with their co-workers because I think that's that's often not an easy thing to do however I think if people are struggling at work or if they're not happy at work and they don't see another option other than to share how they're feeling in order to make things better then maybe that provides this wonderful opportunity 
Yes, yes. I think you state that so well. And, you know, we think of in a, in a situation like that where there are strangers and it's just an, an open environment. You know, we say, what are the expectations? Um, which I was challenged as a facilitator many times, like, oh, Mike, that's not how you facilitate a meeting. You, you have to give the agenda and have people, you know, feed in in a very um, um, directed way and have your set takeaways. And it's almost like, well, why are we creating the narrative and having people feed into it instead of allowing the narrative to just exist and evolve yeah, on its own? Yeah. It's, it's really funny. And so... Um, while I was thinking I was I was performing poorly as a facilitator, it caused me to scratch my head a little bit and say, well, then why are we having such rich experiences? There you go. Maybe I'll just continue fumbling along because it seems to be enjoyable. <laughs> People are hugging each other, smiling. You know, it's a very emotional experience. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think I'll just... I guess, underperform. <laughs> <laughs> Keep underperforming. <laughs> and what would you say are the kind of the main learnings? Do they tend to be quite common issues that people are having? And like, what are the, the kind of common threads, I suppose, that, that occur during the calls? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, during the calls and then the live meetings, um, you know, the, the, the calls we, we get to explore topics and, and, and those are, those are good. I, I think we get to a deeper level in the live experiences, mm -hmm. um, where people are, uh, face to face. Um, the, the emotion is, is, is more present, but it replicates fairly well in the calls. Um, there are common themes that come from those conversations. And, and over time, it's been, you know, over a year and a half now, um, we see common themes. There's one-off extraordinary situations that are sometimes um, very helpful from an emotional um, expression and outpouring and support uh, situation. But many of the themes are the same, and that is that we don't treat people very well. Okay. Workplace, and it's the the way that people experience um, that mistreatment is almost by very well performing what has been taught in the universities and and in um, development programs within companies and, and, um, you know, it, it, it really did expose some of the failure points on how we think about career development, how we think about people development, because it's very skill and task oriented and it's not human development. Mm. It, um, and so there's a great opportunity there, which is what I'm most struck by is the opportunity, um, not so much the damage or the harm, which is well-documented. Um, the challenges are well-researched and the, and the data is very clear from, you know, surveys from, from Gallup or any other organization. We see a lot of the commonality. Um, there's deep research from Stanford that Jeffrey Pfeffer calls out in his book, Dying for a Paycheck. And and it's significant. Um, in the United States, 120,000 unnecessary deaths are caused every year by toxic work environments, bad bosses. Um, wow. That's a shocking statistic. By, by measuring them against a standard that even those measuring probably can't live up to. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's really shocking, that, that statistic. Yeah, it is. It Incredible. is. You know, COVID is, is creeping up on that number now in the United States. It's about 113 or, you know, it, it, it's looking like it will, it will climb to about that same level. Wow. And it's amazing that happens year over year over year, Aoife. And everybody shrugs their shoulders and say, yeah, that, that might not be true. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's that's life or that's part and parcel with what I 
the kind of contract I enter into when I start working, you know, trading my time for money and, and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so kind of coming back on, on the COVID topic, because what we're talking about today is the future of work. So I'd be curious to know the impact that COVID has had, I suppose, on um, on the live events, on the calls. Have you noticed a, an increase in, in people being interested in this kind of stuff? Because for me, I think it's an opportunity for people to sit back and reflect on what's really important in their life and to take stock and to really focus on those things that are important. And maybe people are starting to realize that actually the job that they're in or the company that they're in is not really for them. Yeah, I, I, and, and we went into those topics very, very directly um, to, to have that understanding and to, and to hear from people what that experience has been or, or how they're addressing this time. And I think a lot of it is that there was an awareness that came about um, through this period mm-hmm. and how much action will take from that new awareness will be very interesting. Again, I think that's our opportunity. Yeah. But with that awareness, I'm, I'm hoping that we will be able to turn that into action. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think it's created some understanding of how we just became, I think, systematic in our approach to things with, without thinking, mm-hmm. certainly um, with, without feeling. And, and one of the clear things that we've seen and, and um, I find very interesting is for most of our careers, perhaps for you, Aoife, um, certainly for, for me, and I've heard it said many times that, you know, don't bring all that stuff from your life into work. Leave it at the door. We don't want your emotions. We don't want your personal life. We don't just, you know, get in here, trade your, your time for that money and, and do your job and leave all that stuff at the door. (laughs) Uh, Which is really interesting because that has been really detrimental to performance. And I would say is probably one of the, the worst philosophies or the ideas that um, have actually crippled productivity, not increased it. Mm-hmm. Um, but as soon as that flipped, it wasn't like, you know, people call this working from home. And <laughs> in reality, it was stuck at home. Yeah. Try. Right. Locked yeah. down at home where it was unusual for everybody. Um, spouses are together. The kids are there. Everybody is in this new and you have to work. It wasn't like, oh, this is wonderful. You, you know, you have the freedom to work from home now. But in that same sense, um, what I found is people said I, wa- I wasn't really welcome to bring my family, my feelings, my, my challenges, the doctor appointments, the sporting events, the things that were important to to me. I wasn't able to bring those into work. However, when I was stuck at home, still working, mm. the company wanted to like bring all of the like they wanted to come into my home. Yeah, yeah. And and then there was that sense of you know how am I being judged? I I you know I have kids running into the room and and there was a friend of mine, Eva, that shared a story with me that I had never really thought of. So she's a, she's a, a mother of, of two. And she said, it's been the hardest for me because mm-hmm. when I'm home working and they're home from school, it's such a different dynamic because when I would travel or when I was out doing my job or I'd be at work, everybody understood where mom was and what the role was. But now that I'm here, they see me here, they want to be near me, and I have to send them away. And so they, they see me, they saw her in a different role saying, you know, mom is shunning me now. She's pushing me away. I've never seen her do that before. Yeah. Um, and so there's, there's all these new dynamics that kicked up. And that's where I hope the awareness came in. Yeah. 
That's so interesting because I haven't I haven't actually heard it explained in that way. The way you've explained it now makes a lot of sense in that um, you're suddenly thrown into multiple roles, but in the same environment. Right. You're managing right. these different types of roles. And I, yeah, I haven't explained that's That makes an, an awful lot of sense. I haven't ex- heard it explained in that way before. Thank you. I hadn't either. Yeah. And, and just, just that change in, in perspective from the child's eyes and what that did to the family dynamic. I, um, those are the things I think become important as we start to understand our employees um, mm-hmm. and how we can help them be in a place to, to really bring their best mind, their best effort, and their best performance forward for the company is recognize their, their whole human, which yeah. is much more than a phrase. It's actually... Um, we all have our innate gifts and in our uniqueness, we're all very brilliant. I believe Mm. in a measure against a standard of sameness, we all fail at a, at some degree. (laughs) That's a great phrase. In a measure against a standard of sameness. Yeah. Yeah. This is the the whole idea of, performance metrics and you need to fit into this box and this is how we're going to measure you um yeah really really interesting concept yeah and you know when we think of that think of the language that's even you know we can pick up an article today from um a university we can pick up from forbes or harvard or some of the big publications that um have the attention um you know, and at this time, we're very sensitive about all kinds of language, right? But some of it we're not even aware of is when we look at programs, when we look at, you know, come and get your degree, do these things, perform these ways, adopt these habits, buy this program, so you can get ahead. And and we never ask the question of get ahead of whom? <laughs> Who do I need to elbow to the back as I forward? Why wouldn't I do this as an improvement and that I can share with others and move everybody forward? Why do I have to get ahead of them? What if we all want to go together Mm. and actually be a company, be a team, be our full human beings? It, it, It has to be at the expense of someone else or it doesn't have value. Yeah, that's a really interesting point because, and I laughed because I thought you were going somewhere completely different with that. (laughs) And then it was like, wow, okay, that's such an interesting insight around. And, you know, we spoke kind of before we we came on air and um, uh, it it was about this whole idea of being in organizations where competition is kind of seen as the norm and you're competing against different teams or you're competing against your teammates to to get the best results and, and things like that. Whereas my natural kind of tendency was probably more towards collaboration and helping other people and and being available to to help people when they needed it and, and things like that. So it's really interesting what you're saying about getting ahead. And I thought like in my mind it was like, oh yeah, because there's no one size fits all and um, it's about kind of maybe giving someone a framework to figure out, well, what's going to work for me to help me improve myself. But then, you know, rather than focusing on the self, why don't why not focus on how do I help other people, which kind of in itself helps me to be better as well? Yes. And, you know, think of that when when people have different strengths mm. instead of having a preference of, oh, yes, our managers are all very data driven. They're very task oriented. That's that's what that's how we perceive, you know, leadership and, and management. Um, where that person may actually lead better as part of a team mm-hmm. than as you know having the responsibility for the whole team. Their contributions, their true self leadership or organizational leadership, may be more valuable in the role that they want to be in and enjoy rather than put into, you know, the, the structure of hierarchy. This is it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's a couple of things there. What one 
point is kind of around this idea of um, fit, which I'm, this is the, the area I'm doing my my uh, dissertation research on. I'm really interested in the concept of how people fit in at work and how to drive that sense of fit and how need satisfaction relates to that. So whether you feel that sense of fit within uh, you know, the job, the organization, the team, the supervisor, all sorts of things like that. But then the other element is what you were saying about working to your strengths and the role that you play within that team or that organization um, is not dependent on the hierarchy. It's dependent on what you're really good at and how that is balanced with the other people that are in the team, I suppose, as well. Yes, yes. Um you know, and, and the responsibilities of decision-making and the responsibilities um, of having the measured results um, delivered by the team, you know, somebody has to, to hold that responsibility and go into that meeting and give that answer and, and have the plan. Um, but it, it's not always one type of person. It's actually the, the person that's willing or desirous of having that role as a representative of the team, not as a, I'm going to use all these people that are around me now to get to that next position so I can find another team to use to get to the next position, right? So it, it, you know, what is the objective? And we often overmeasure activity instead of outcome. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a common theme. And that's something I talk about on my LinkedIn profile. It's something that has come up a good bit in um, discussions that I've had on the podcast previously as well is the outcomes versus, you know, the product productivity measures or being busy or saying what I worked 12 hours today. But if you don't have anything kind of tangible, I suppose, to show for it, if if you're not getting any results in line with what what success actually is, and I say success, meaning what what yes. you set out to do in the first place. Yes. Um, that's that's definitely a common theme. Do you see a shift towards creating more human workplaces? I do. I think that it's um, still early. And I believe that there's a, a large chasm that still needs to be crossed. But I think that you know, some of us that are goofy enough to be early adopters of that, if you will, if we think of, you know, technology terms, right? You yeah. you have the, um, you know, people started using mobile phones. It was crazy, right? And suddenly... <laughs> the big bricks that they had. Yes. <laughs> and, and then suddenly it was, it was more common. Mm. And now it's ubiquitous. Yeah. And we think back, 10 years from now, 10 years ago, it was different. Mm. Um, 20 years ago, it was, it was brand new. The form factors weren't even there yet Mm. to be doing data. Um, And now everybody's holding a device in their hand that is 1 million times more powerful than the computers that sent the 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 Apollo and the men to um, to the moon and brought them back. Wow! Every twelve year old's holding a million times more computing power in their hands yeah. than the mainframe that did the moon launch. It, and so when we we think of um, those significant periods or that that time, and I think sometimes we don't reflect and we miss that. And so. The more human workplace, and I, I did frame it in that crossing the chasm, you know, the great work by Jeffrey Moore, I think really applies to this is it feels experimental because our systems are not built around it yet. And the great news that's coming, and maybe this is part of the awareness through this um, COVID-19 experience we've all had, is we find out that we didn't need to whip the horse to make it run. Mm-hmm. And we never stopped whipping the horse to ask the question, <laughs> will the horse run without whipping it? So, well, we don't know. We've, we've built all these programs and we've built our systems around being a good rider. You get on that horse, you know, you sit sternly and, and you, you start, you know, slashing that whip. And, and that's just the way it's done. And, 
and all of your skill development's going to be around becoming the whip master. Yeah. Um, and and we never even paused and said, you know, why this lovely, brilliant animal, powerful, gorgeous, caring beast that I'm sitting on <laughs> may run all by itself. Yeah. Now, it's interesting, that analogy, because I've started working with someone recently and I think probably for the first time ever, um, instead of saying like we, we had um, a kind of a temporary trial and instead of saying, and here's how I think you can improve or here's some things maybe to watch out for. I didn't say anything like that at all. And I just said, thank you so much for your support. It's me really making a huge difference to me and the people who I'm meeting are highly engaged. They're engaged with my content. And his reply was, thank you so much. I'm going to try harder, you know? Yeah. 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 Thank you so much. I'm so motivated now to, to keep working. So, um, you know, and I obviously I've seen that in, um, what's the word? Like I've, I, I know it, I know that, but it's so hard to resist saying something like, and you might try this next time, or you might try something different, but just to kind of keep him motivated and keep him really interested in the work that he's doing, just by saying that simple thing, thank you. It's, it, it's made a huge difference to me. Yes. And he's gone. Yeah. Like I just thought yes. that's the first time I've seen it working really well in a practical way. Isn't it interesting how you opened the door and invited them in through recognition? Yeah. And, and what often happens is that person will then ask you, how can I improve? Because they want to be better. Yeah. Nobody comes to work and say, I wonder if I can be worse today. <laughs> I can say exactly the same. Right. <laughs> I think it's in our nature as humans to want to be better at whatever it is that we're doing. Yes. And and when I learn to care about you and we're on a team together, mm. I want you to succeed. So how can we better work together so we're both succeeding? And what's really amazing is that in itself starts to create the happiness factor. And, and that happiness is, you know, it's a state of being, right? It's not the, uh, it's not watching cartoons. It's, it's very different than joy or um, that happiness is, uh, you know, in my definition, we're um, serene and exciting coexist in the same moment. Mm. That I'm peacefully, very excited, enthused about what can happen next or what we can do. And, and that's, so when I speak to happiness, it's more about the science of happiness along yeah. those lines. Yeah. Um, but I think with what we've learned through this period now, and again, the awareness that was raised that I hope we'll be able to act on, Aoife, is, is we can measure people's belief, their awareness, and their genuineness for the care and concern of others and their understanding of the outcomes. And we can ask the questions, can, can we see it? Do we believe we can get it done? And that opens up everybody to express the challenges so we can solve the real problems, not those that we imagine. Mm. We can ask instead of command. Um, when we bring choice to people for for them to succeed and the team to succeed, rather than the command or the prescriptive authority that we might apply, I think the results change. And why it is possible with this new awareness is we've realized how ridiculous the layer of management has been built throughout our systems now. Um, and I understand it from the industrial eras and, the, and the, the shop floor managers. And, you know, we put out 25 widgets last week. We're going to go to 30 this week. And, you know, here's the efficiencies we're going to put in place to do that. And, um, you know, it's how many movements you have at your sewing machine. I get all of that. I, I understand where, where that came from. Um, but I also 
have an acute awareness of how ridiculous it is to apply that philosophy to today's working world and economy and the challenges we have. And so what we learned is the person standing over the other people working had zero value when they weren't there to stand over. And those people who that was their job had no job other than to get you on a Zoom call and bother you while <laughs> you were trying to create enough space to actually get your work done because you already had the view of the outcomes and your responsibilities well ingrained and you had personal adherence responsibility to get that done. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting what you said about this concept of choice, because I think, you know, the choice versus the kind of command and control approach, um, that's coming quite strongly through um, the data that I'm doing my research on. It's this whole idea of autonomy and the, the fundamental importance of the need for autonomy. And I suppose being able to teach managers how to be supportive of autonomy, and that's not telling people what to do or how to do it. It's providing that vision of this is where we want to end up. This right. is um, this is the big picture, and I will let you, as an individual, figure out how we, how you are going to contribute to that. If you need help, you know I'm I'm here to kind of ask questions and things. But it's really about giving people that sense of agency and control and responsibility over themselves and trust that they will get the job done if you provide enough guidance as to where it is that you want to end up. I, I really believe that is where we're going. Mm. Um, I think when we come across the chasm, which I, which I believe to a large extent will happen this year, yeah. and, this, and this thinking will be more mainstream, people will look for these um, characteristics, this behavior, mm. these attitudes, um, and they'll start to elevate those that can lead that type of team, that type of organization. And they've always existed. We've just not paid much attention to those who naturally lead, right? We, we chose the leader based on the criteria we already had in place. And we promoted somebody that, you know, was very, you know, upward mobile. Mm. And it's amazing that they always looked very much like the person before them that was upward mobile it didn't leave a lot of room for diversity Um, and so I I think that when we allow the best people to rise based on their ability to help those around them rise we'll understand what true leadership looks like and performance will be not only desirable and enjoyable it will be sustainable um, and there's companies out there working right now that are putting tools in place that will allow some of these things to be measured. And I think that becomes important also, um, because those who feel the responsibility to measure everything will then have measures that, um, can bring back information so it doesn't feel like just intuition. Mm. We'll learn how to collect other data and interpret other data. And, you know, there's some brilliant people working on things like that. Yeah. So that they can make um, data-driven decisions, essentially. Yes, yes. That we can learn the patterns and, and, you know, they become a little more predictable. Um, but, but we have to look at different things than we look at today yeah. to make that happen. Yeah. Um, and how, how do you think that that's going to start? So you mentioned about this, the ridiculousness of the layer of management that we currently have and how those people get selected. And it's part of this entire system that we've created. How do we start changing the system? Like what are some practical steps that people can take, whether it's as an individual or an organization, you mentioned about the individuals that people will start looking if they realize that that an alternative exists, that they will start seeking that out in organizations. But I suppose from an organizational perspective, what are some steps that people can start taking? 
Well, I, I, I believe that there, there are a couple of clear steps. And one is um, if, we can, if we can stop expecting change to happen from someplace outside of ourselves, and and um, and that's really a change in belief. It's it's not an excuse. I don't. I, I thought it was at first, Eva, but I but I have learned that it's actually um, more of a, a, a pattern behavior and a belief system that comes in. But when we change our belief that the the edict to help you succeed, help me succeed is not going to come down from on high. Mm. And, you know, I, I talk to people all the time and say, well, Mike, those are wonderful ideas, but our CEO is not really supporting this. He won't allow that to happen. She won't allow that to happen. And my first question is, how much time during the week do you spend with them? <laughs> and many of the times in the large organizations, they say, well, I've never actually even met them or... Mm you know, outside of the town hall, I've never been in a room with them. Yeah. It's like, well, then why are you allowing an assumption of who they are to create limitations for you when you can enact this with your own team? And so that's the first step is we all have the ability to change our beliefs and, and, and um, become more aware to really pause and understand what the vision is for the company, for our team, and understand our own vision. Mm. What do we want from this experience um, outside of a paycheck? Because if you just want a paycheck, you're in the right place because you're going to get it and you can go home. Yeah. But many of us, that's not fulfilling enough. Um, So things align, I suppose, as well. So the vision that the company has for for itself and then how does that tie in with the vision and goals that you have for your life yes that more rewarding yes and so the first thing we can do is enact it with the people around you and don't wait for permission from outside of that group um, and once that happens in one team and then another team and then another team all of a sudden we have these uh, you know, really points of light inside an organization, they become the leaders. They change the culture because their everyday experience has changed. Mm. They don't have to wait for the person that they've never met or who does not influence any of their days to make a decision to allow them to do the things that they believe they need yeah. to do. Um, and so that's a that's a big one. Um, secondly, HR needs to be completely reformed. And I don't mean the wonderful friends of mine and the individuals inside of HR. I mean the industry of HR. Um, it's, it's time to enjoy those days of old as, as history books and reflections and not guides to what we do tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So, and and I say that not to place blame, but, you know, I believe this is the, the greatest time of need and opportunity for HR to really step in to the change that organizations need. But they're, as an industry, they are in need of these changes more than the companies that they're serving and they don't recognize it. Okay. And so, so it's, it's, um, it's almost like an old institution that is no longer relevant, Mm -hmm. just like the management practices and Druckerism and, you know, the, the Weberism and, and all those um, foundations of the industrial age are no longer relevant. Um, how do you think that HR can become more relevant for the future of work? Um, what they stop doing is more important than what they do next. Okay, yeah. Um, um, to be more relevant, I think, um, let procurement be procurement. 
um, that that's one of them is um, to stop getting all of the advice from institutions, college professors who are sending you through an accreditation program. And so you have to be compliant mm. and you have to get your credits and you have to pay the money um, and stop taking all of the um, advice from software vendors <laughs> and implementation partners because they have their own agenda. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you are a client. You are, you are not um, your client. I'll just say that. Yeah. <laughs> the role is very clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, um, stop being technology pr procurement. Um, stop being addicted to the certifications. Mm -hmm. And I think that the the brilliance of of the human beings I know that are that that are are well intended and can operate well inside the HR role will really start to shine because they'll be able to focus on the things that they believe they'd be focusing on when they first got into the to the yeah industry. yeah yeah helping people really helping people yeah and so again you know what we stop doing is often more important than what we do next yeah and uh i have i have great hope that there'll be significant transformation yeah. the next thing is um i i would make sure that we go through all the systems that are in place right so it's amazing how much benefit you could create for your company just by tweaking your ats system that would be your applicant tracking system that okay. you use for recruitment mm -hmm. and the way that those systems are dialed in right now they're they're set up to exclude not include yeah yeah if they don't and have certain keywords it's it's sending your your cv or your resume into a black hole basically isn't it yes yeah. yes um that's a mindset change and it's toggling an implemented system yeah it's an easy one it's an easy one well i mean we um, could have a whole other conversation about this <laughs> how broken the recruitment process in itself is like that's an entirely separate conversation i think because don't get me started on that and, and how people are <laughs> recruited and how people are found in the first place and you know i think there's so much that can be fixed in that area um, yeah. But yeah, starting starting with the the tracking system, I think, is is an interesting place to start. You know, it's 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 one of the easy ones where we can do that this week. Yeah, and and it will make it will it will bring us a positive step to what we do next. Um, and and so I you know I um, and I was going to get back to the major points again. So um, I, I derailed a little bit on that, but I think it's important for this reason is. I believe there's many brilliant people already in our organizations that we haven't allowed to do their best work yeah. because of the limitations we put around them. And I would categorize, you know, current HR structures in that way. Yeah. Um, and, and again, it's, it's the structure like the, you know, like the industrial age, like the um, structures of old that I'm addressing not the people. And I want to be clear because um, I want to save you from all of the, the, the um, hate mail, <laughs> you know, the hate mail, the feedback that you might get. <laughs> uh, so it, uh, plus it's, it's, it's um, that will be a great engine to cross this chasm and to build sustainability and the proper measurements um, going forward. So it, it, that is a great opportunity. Yeah. The other piece is simply acknowledging and appreciating the uniqueness in people. Um, you and I can be together on a team and we talked about our strengths a little bit and, and, you know, how wonderful it would be if you can come in and say, well, Mike, you're, I love the vision. You, you know, you have, you see the big picture and everything else, what you're missing is we actually need to build the wagon to carry that down the road. Yeah. And 
that's an assumption you're making. Um, can you stay with me for a moment while we build the wagon? Mm-hmm. And, and I give you a hug at that point and say, oh, my goodness, you know, Aoife, thank you for, for caring about me enough to remind me that we actually needed the wagon. Yeah. So <laughs> um, it's, it's, I suppose it kind of, it's twofold. It's understanding your own strengths, but recognizing and understanding the strengths that other people have as well, that oftentimes complement strengths that people have. So, you know, before we came on air, I was saying I'm very detail oriented. I'm kind of task and process driven a lot of the time. I don't, sometimes I miss the big picture and so if someone sets a big picture, I'm happy to provide the detail about how that can be achieved. And um, that's where my strengths lie. Whereas someone who's focused on the big picture maybe doesn't see how, when, and, you know, the, the what we need to do in order to realize that big picture. So, yes. you know, finding that balance, I think, is, is really good. And I have fun when I go in and, and get to do um, my, you know, when I get to do workshops, right? So when I'm when, because we can take some pretty big problems. And what's amazing is the people in the room always have the answers to the problems. Nobody's asked them to bring it forward. And so as a consultant, a facilitator, it's actually an easy job to go solve big problems mm. because I didn't have to come in with an outside answer and implement it, right? Yeah. That becomes, now we'll just jump into the myth of best practices again. It's like, oh, yes, he did that at that big company. I wonder if we can, if he'll bring their secret to us. Um, and that's been the promise of, you know, big consultancies forever, right? The truth <laughs> is there is no secret. The secret is within the team that exists. Yeah, and, it's what works best. Yeah, and so we come in and we just look at genuineness, right? And, it, and genuineness is simply what we just express. Mm. You have strengths. You have, um, you know, areas that, that you're not as comfortable with. And we blend those. And I admit my low priority strengths, um, which is the way I state weaknesses. They're low priority strengths. Low priority strengths. So yeah. I call them development areas. <laughs> yes, yes. So when I'm able to look at my limitations, my flaws, my weaknesses, then I know that um, when you know them, you can help me watch out for them. Mm. When I'm hiding them from you, they will always be blind spots that we're sharing and you're not volunteering to share my blind spots. Mm. But I'm too weak to admit that I have them. Yeah. I'm not strong enough to recognize that I do. So this genuineness is important. And then awareness. What's the other person's feeling what's going on in their life do we understand the market do we understand the dynamics of the team do we understand that you know sometimes on tuesday you feel different than you do on friday and that's okay (laughs) what's going on in your life was there and you um so that you know awareness of market others and ourselves Mm. and the vision piece is we, we share the vision. It kind of looks like this. Can, can you see that? And, and people say, I, you know, I, I don't quite see it, but I understand what you're saying and I see how this aligns to that. So, you know, maybe as we get closer to the horizon, it'll become clearer, but I believe in you enough that I'm willing to go along and take those steps with you. Yeah. Um, the person doesn't have to be the visionary. They just have to have a good sense of belief. And that's what we also check on is, can we do it? And that's what's everybody's feeling of belief that this will get done. It's like, oh, there's no way that will happen. Well, if we go into work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and show up the next week in the pattern that we don't believe it will happen. It's likely not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> And so we, um, we check each other and say, it's okay for you not to believe, you know, what will it take? And then we recognize that, you know what, Aoife, you, you, you may not be there now, but I'm not going to fault you. I'm not going to put angst on you or create an environment that isn't good for you, but I'm always going to invite you in to, to discover and find that belief. And um, if you choose it doesn't exist then that's a really good conversation, right? Because then maybe it is time for that person to find something that does align better. 
that mm. they do have belief in. And we can actually help people along their success journey rather than keep them captive in an environment where they will not believe and yeah. succeed. And that gets to another piece that I was going to say that came back to me is um, with the understanding that people can succeed working remotely, there will now be the opportunity for the great global job exchange to happen. I like the sign of that already. Keep going. <laughs> if I do not need to walk in the door and punch a clock each day, I can now go out and hire those that share my values. I can hire the best people from a talent and skill and um, and an ethos standpoint that fit yeah. my organization. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And now the pressure's on where instead of having the coolest building and the and the biggest perks, I can actually align myself with a company that I share their values. Yeah. And I yeah. can reach out and say, I'm going to work from Idaho today. And we're seeing it happening in Silicon Valley. I was about to say, yeah, I mean, I'm a total, I totally buy into that. And, and the alignment of values is so, so important. I don't think people even realize how important it is. Um, and I was going to ask about that because I have seen some announcements from Silicon Valley where um, Mark Zuckerberg came out and said that um, actually, because people have this, this wild idea that I can get my Silicon Valley salary and I can go and I can live, you know, in the Caribbean or somewhere relatively cheap. And he, he came out straight away and said, you don't get the Silicon Valley salary unless you're living. Like it's, it's kind of, it's, um, it's, what's the word? It's, it's structured to, to be in line with wherever it is you're living. And I'd love to get your thoughts on that because that's something that I was like, oh, if that's, that kind of defeats the purpose a little bit. You should be paid for the value that you bring to an organization, not based on where you're, where you're living. Yeah, um, you know, I think that um, when we look at um, compensation structures, mm. that when we ask people to go to a different market, there's there's a cost of living adjustment that takes that takes place, um, and it it it's a uh, you know there's a quality of life factor in there. I don't know who gets to run the algorithms. Um, you know, we'll get <laughs> insurance adjusters in there to. To, to, to do that type of analysis, but, um, but there is data out there and it, it, um, um, it is the value of the work. Mm. The value being the contribution to the team and the whole, mm. um, instead of valuing the time for paycheck. Yeah. So what's really interesting is if we don't want to be measured clearly on trading our time for dollars, mm. then when we look at, we might come into a beneficial situation where my dollars will go farther, further, then we're actually getting on the other side of the argument saying, well, this time it benefits me. And so I want to make that time for dollars argument. And what I would caution people to say, what else is wrapped around that? Yeah. Uh, if you can be in your ranch in Idaho and um, have the freedom to deliver the productivity and your quality of life will be equal, mm -hmm. um, you know, if it's cheaper to live in Texas than in San Francisco and um, you get to make that choice and the commute isn't there, and your house is probably going to have more square footage anyway yeah. than it did, then, you know, the, the number is kind of a, a sign to ego in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You don't and mean, being able to choose companies where we align well with their values yeah. allows people a lot of movement where I don't have to now work for this company that I may not believe in their ethos or the way that they operate mm -hmm. the business. And since I don't have to take the train and walk in that door um, and undergo that scrutiny, I'm going to apply for a job at 
WD-40 with Gary Ridge because they measure um, their employee um, happiness or their, their employee fulfillment measures. And they, and that come in over 90% year over year over year. And Gary Ridge is one of those CEOs who of a publicly traded company that goes to the um, market and says, we really should be measuring each company on this quotient on how are you caring for your people? Yeah. They've proven that it can be measured. They've proven that it's valuable. And he said, you know, creating positive life experiences for each of our employees is what we are in business for. That oil in the can stuff that you use on your creaky joints, that's not why we're in business. That's the output yeah. from our business. Yeah. But we're here to create... Um, positive experiences from from bringing a collection of people who believe the same thing together this is what we're this is the outcome of doing that so we have good examples and that's why i believe we're getting closer Eva. um the the big trick to this is our expressed values lived values yes yeah yeah there's a huge difference i think There is. And the amazing piece to that is the tools to express that absolutely exist. And it's called podcasts and it's called YouTube and it's called allowing your people to get out and express the experiences they're actually having and sharing that out with other people. People will see that it's genuine. It's not marketing speak. It's you and I in this conversation talking about this wonderful company we work for. And these are the experiences all these people have had. And we bring others into that conversation. And now we know it's real because the collective is expressing it in ways that we're all feeling it to be real and true. Um, So the technology exists because it's, you know, we, we walk around in the form of it every day. It's, you know, connecting our head to our heart and, and, and honoring that gut sense that we have. Mm. Um, that's the brilliant system. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Mike, we've, we've covered a lot of ground today. Is there anything else that you would add in terms of um, looking towards the future of work? We've covered we a lot, though. So. <laughs> you know, thank you for your openness to to walk down so many roads and explore, you know, all those different perspectives. And um, I do believe this: the the future of work is very, very bright. Um, and I also believe that it needs to be illuminated. It needs to be bright because we're going to go through more challenges. Um, there are disruptive models coming. There are big new technologies coming. And how we use those tools becomes very important. Um, and I think that this process we're going through, this understanding, awakening, and many of the, the, the voices and the ideas and the opportunities to embrace a new way of working will empower us to move, you know, very positively through the opportunities and challenges ahead. Brilliant. And the question that I ask everyone who comes on the podcast, what makes you happier at work? What makes me happier at work is um, to allow, being allowed to express my views and ideas and opinions and be wrong if I'm wrong, because the goal is never to be wrong. It's, I mean, to be right, it's to be better. Mm. And when I see others around me have the ability to do that also, I find that there's a lot more laughter and enjoyment and poking fun and just more natural interaction. Um, that allows me 
to be happier at work is the relationships I have with those around me. Yeah, brilliant. And if people want to reach out to connect, find out more about you, do you want to talk me uh, through about some of the uh, Humans First events as well? Yes. Well, you know, the Humans First events, we've been um, shut down a little bit because of travel restrictions. I I can't wait to get uh, back to some of those locations that were closed down. Um, I'm, I watch every day for the opportunity to um, go over and do an event in Amsterdam. June 15th, yesterday was a big day where they started opening up travel within the EU, but they don't want us from the States coming over yet. Um, so we'll, we'll come back to all that. In the meantime, we'll do some online events. Um, we're, we're kicking off um, some other learning opportunities and opportunities for people to express through webinars and you know, there's so there's many things in the plan to take advantage or to, um, you know, uh, accommodate us in the in, in these times. But to get a hold of me. Um, yes. Um, Humansfirst.club or mjvacanti.com. Um, there are forms in there, you, you know, reach out that way. I'm I'm very willing and open to, to communicate on social media and um And I do want to hear from you and I do want to invite you in Um, on humansfirst.club on the events page. There's a direct link into the Zoom calls that take place Monday noon uh, UK time. Okay, yeah. London time. Um, Every Monday noon. And that link to that Zoom call is right there on the events page. Um, On Friday at noon uh singapore time there's a call that link is there on friday u.s eastern time the link is there and on thursday noon um eastern time there's a link there so you're welcome um everybody's welcome jump in on one of those zoom calls and and um you know check it out it's an open invitation i must check that out yeah must check that out myself thank you and this has been just such an enjoyable experience. Again, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I, I just love opening up approach. the conversation. Yeah, your your work that you're doing through your podcast, Aoife, is, is so important and, and valuable. And I appreciate your willingness to, to allow that deeper exploration. And then the topic categorization you're doing to really guide people through in a series of understanding with many different voices. Mm. I, I, I just, I want to give you kudos for your approach and, and who you are and, and how you uh, show up and allow us to, to, to express ourselves. Thank you. I really, really appreciate that. Much appreciated. It was really great. I really enjoyed the conversation today, Mike. Really, really enjoyed it. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. That was Mike Vacanti there from Humans First Club. And uh, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I really, really enjoyed um, having that chat with Mike. I just wanted to summarize some of the things that came up during the conversation. Um, So one of the key reasons that things are not necessarily going well at work these days, why so many people are disengaged, is that we don't treat people very well at work. So that's fundamentally the issue And, um, you know, a lot of what we spoke about was tackling those types of things, those types of issues. And we spoke as well about this whole idea of getting ahead. And, you know, as Mike put it, getting ahead of who or getting ahead of what? And, you know, what happens if we all just try and get along? What happens if we all try and work together to collaborate a little bit more? We spoke about this whole idea of autonomy and choice and When you, as a manager, give your employees a choice of how to do things, it really increases their sense of autonomy and being supportive of autonomy or, you know, in the academic terms, it's autonomy supportive. And it really facilitates their um, the motivation of people. So if people feel like they have a choice in how they do something, then it really increases their their own abilities and their own their own willingness to get the job done. Another really interesting concept that came out of the conversation was allowing the best people to rise based on their ability to help those around them to rise. So I thought that was a really, really interesting concept. So 
it's about measuring people about the impact that they have on other people as opposed to the impact that they have on the bottom line. Another thing to come out was this whole idea of how does the change actually start? And oftentimes we expect it to come from the top or we expect it to to come from some sort of external force to us when in fact change really begins with ourselves. So what Mike was saying was stop expecting change to happen outside of ourselves. If you can change your own beliefs, if you can become aware and don't wait for permission to make those changes, just change yourself and you'd be surprised at how other people start replicating what you're doing. Another key area then is acknowledging and appreciating the uniqueness in people. So each person brings their own unique strengths to a situation, to an organization, to a team. And it's about knowing your own strengths, knowing the strength of other people, but also appreciating and recognizing those. We talked about expressed versus lived values and the difference between what people say or what organizations say their values are and how they're actually expressed. And there oftentimes is a difference between those. So recognizing where what is being expressed by the organization is not truly what's being lived within the organization. Another interesting concept was this whole idea of genuineness. So when we hide our weaknesses from other people, we tend to get tripped up. And being really open about the areas that you're not as strong in helps other people to watch watch out for you, to help you with those development areas, as I refer to them, or the low priority strengths, as Mike refers to them. We also spoke about the importance of belief. So really believing in the mission and the goals that your organization is trying to achieve. And there's no point in showing up to work if you don't believe that you're going to be able to achieve what you set out to. But part of that challenge is that sometimes it's okay. You may not be there yet. You may not be in a state of belief yet. It's okay to challenge. It's okay to seek further clarification, to, to really understand what you believe the challenge is to be. And with the understanding that if you're not there or if you believe that you won't get there, then you, you certainly have the choice to work somewhere where you do believe in what it is that they're doing. As always, I'd love to hear your feedback. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the podcast. If you know someone who would benefit from listening to this podcast, absolutely feel free to hit the share button. You should be able to share by text, by WhatsApp, and you should be able to share within social media as well. If you want to reach out to me directly, you'll find me on all of the social media channels. You'll find links in the show notes. I'm mostly found hanging out on LinkedIn. So if you want to connect with me there, absolutely feel free to. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to the Happier at Work podcast with Aoife O'Brien. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button and don't forget to rate and review the podcast.